0: You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by FitzDares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, welcome to the show. It is Monday, November the sixth. I think I can't be quite sure. What a an extraordinary, dramatic, exciting. Glorious in many respects, Breeders' Cup that was, with so many talking points. But I got on the plane straight after Saturday night and arrived this morning, Australian time, to Melbourne. And now we look firmly ahead to another one of International Racing's great staging posts coming hot on the heels of another. It is the Lexus Melbourne Cup tomorrow, Tuesday the 7th. And that will be the focus for much of this episode for all that we will reflect on what's gone on over the last few days, not just in Southern California, but also around the rest of the world. And to that end, Lydia Hislok will be along shortly. But in my um, transit, in my absence, the croc, J.A. McGrath, has been doing sterling service here in Melbourne, and that's where we're going to start this podcast, with the owner and trainer of the horse that has been trying perhaps for 18 months to work towards a date with destiny in this race that stops the nation. That horse being Vauban, that owner and trainer being Rich Ritchie and Willie Mullins respectively. And let's hear from the, the owner first.
1: It's, it's all going according to plan. I, I wanted single digits, lower single digits if I could, not being number one. And the horse is in good, Nick. The draw has gone well. Fingers crossed it continues to go as well.
2: Now you've just been here, I think, Twenty-four hours, maybe thirty-six hours. Yeah. What you, what reports are you getting from David Casey at the stable?
1: Dinner with David last night. He's very, very happy. I know. I spoke to Patrick Mullins earlier. Went to see him this morning. He looks a picture. Uh, they're very, very happy with him. They think they have him spot on, and um, he'll be ready to rock on Tuesday. This
2: is an all-out assault on this race because this is your fourth Cup runner. You've had Max Dynamite, who's finished second and third, and you've had Thomas Hobson, who I think finished sixth. That's right. So how determined are you to win this race?
1: It's a really good question, Jim, because previously, I think we came here as sort of on a whim or an afterthought or let's give it a go. This has been a plan. And we were we were thoughtful about where we ran him. We were thoughtful about his his juvenile hurdling campaign. We were thoughtful about running him last year, in open company over hurdles and then coming back to the flat to really get some strength into him this is a plan so you know this time I'm, I'm a lot more hopeful um and i dare say confident uh, that i'll run a really good race than i was with max dynamite and um again a plan versus a, a sort of a whim is a big difference and we're hoping for the best
2: what's your biggest fear you've been here today we've watched derby day um, we've seen nine races on fairly quick
1: ground what is your biggest fear i like a little rain the ground worries me slightly um, I think Gold Trip is a very good horse last year's winner. Willie's other horse absurd always worries me because Willie, as we know, can produce two horses in a race, and the favourite doesn't always win. Um, but um, the, the biggest fear I have is just that the horse fires and breaks well. We, we, we've now um, got a good barrier draw. Uh, the horse is in good nick. He's got one more vet to pass on Monday. But I'd say the ground. A little rain wouldn't hurt, but they'll make it safe, safe I'm sure.
2: And how are you going to be feeling in the next uh, couple of days? Uh, uh, would it be fair to say you're already a little bit on your, on, on your toes at the moment?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm on my toes, uh, yes. I'm, I'm sweating up in the ring. I'm prancing around, looking around. <laughs> I'll, I'll be okay uh, tomorrow and Sunday. I'd say it'd be a wreck Monday and Tuesday... Oh, you don't want to speak to me until after the race, yeah. And how's
2: it compare to Cheltenham? Because you've been to Cheltenham many times and you've had great success there.
1: Well, we're National Hunt people and, and Cheltenham is our be-all and end-all, as you know. And I can't wait to um, to have runners there every year. This is, this is different. It's an unusual experience. Having been here a couple of times before, I know how important it is to uh, the world of racing, let alone Australia, and it just would be everything to win and be right up there with anything you do at Cheltenham and any national Hunt hunter all right, I, I speak to that says, what race could you win outside national hunt? They always mention the Melbourne Cup. All
0: right, so that was owner Rich Ritchie. What about trainer Willie Mullins? How's he feeling?
3: Uh, I'm happy and delighted. Uh, Rich did a better job than his uh, aide-to-come Joe Chambers the last time he, he got a better draw for the horse this time. So he did I think it. he drew off, drew off the track, was it? Thomas Hobson? That's right, out in the car park somewhere. But um, you no, know, so Richard is in good form. He he picked it, you know, he said he was going to do the draw himself this year to get the job done. Hopefully, he's right.
2: Can you explain to listeners in the UK just how important
3: the draw is in a two mile race? It seems to be very important in this race, um, even though there's a long straight. But I think to get out and get a position. And it's very hard in Australia to come from, uh, from wide, you know, you, it's, it's just so much easier to get your position from a, uh, even in a two-mile race, it's, it's, you know, you, you've got to have, it makes it much easier. Yeah. You've had several cracks
2: at the Cup. What have you learned so far? What's the biggest lesson you've learned about Melbourne and the Cup?
3: You know, you need to be ahead of the handicapper. I think. You need to draw. Uh, I think we've got both things this time round. Head of the Handicap and how far. People here are trying to sort of
2: ascertain just how good this horse is. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a prejudice against him in some form analysts' eyes because he's actually been over hurdles. But have we got a, have we got a high class flat horse here who I, can actually also jump? I, th-
3: I think so, you know, and, and uh, the only negative I would see in this is protecting his mark, we haven't run him enough, you know, and that might be the, the Australians wouldn't like that. They'd rather see horse, horses running more before the race, whereas in Europe we tend to mind a horse for a race, and that's what we've done with this guy. So it's
2: three months since he's run, but that's no, like, people have seen the track gallops here, they've yeah. seen him every morning at Werribee, they've seen him here at Flemington. Um David Casey, I presume, is reporting back to you that this horse is rippling rippling fit.
3: Yeah, I mean, watching the times, I've been watching the videos and I saw him this morning and, you know, the two horses are in great shape now. And what about Absurd? Is he sailing in under the radar? Uh, He's certainly in good form, you know, He's he's in as good a form as Absurd and he's there with a lovely light weight. Uh, you know, I'd, for each way, punters, I wouldn't be afraid. I'd, I'd say you could have a little bit of that. But to wait, one or whatever it is. So he's drawn
2: seven. So yeah. are we looking at a Willie Mullins forecast here?
0: That's, that'd be a nice thought. All right, Lydia's with me today, and there's a lot to take stock of internationally. And we may as well start here now and with what's going to happen or maybe not happen within the next few hours, I suppose. There is a a feeling here, Lydia, and I've only been here a few hours. That Voban shouldn't be three to one or whatever he is, nearly four to one, three point eight, I think, was the last tote price. He should be like one to five to win the Melbourne Cup. It, it's pretty insane, isn't it? The idea that that a horse should be so so confidently fancied for what is such a competitive race.
4: Yes, that is weird. Apart from. If you look at his profile, I think he's kind of absolutely ideal for the race, and I think he's will have slightly have come out of of left field as well because he's had those two seasons over hurdles after his early form on the flat, which shows that he's quite adept over a shorter trip and yet stays thoroughly. And I think this season, there has been so much confidence behind him at every stage, whether that is in the Copper Horse at Royal Ascot or in the Nace Group 3. There's just been so much confidence the whole time. You know, I, I, I'm always looking to, if I can, field against a, a favourite. But I think it's it's very hard to pick holes in the profile of this horse. I think he's absolutely ideal for the race.
0: And there are issues around the melbourne cup with regard to acclimatizing to conditions with regard to the kind of potentially tactically chaotic nature of the race with regard to connections not really being alive to the pitfalls but when you look at each of those questions you think well okay this is a horse that's got a blend of speed and stamina ryan Ryan moore's not exactly going to be riding without confidence and by the way, the trainer's been here a million times before and knows how to handle training at Werribee and getting a horse ready for it. So every every turn you look, you think, well, that can probably be countered.
4: Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, and if anything, it could be his stable companion that's the biggest threat. Um, absurd, who won the Ebor under a, a superb ride from Frankie de Tori. Uh That form is is very very strong. He he is maybe a little bit more mercurial than Vauban. Vauban slightly straightforward. The only thing you could say about Vauban is that he can be maybe a little bit keen, but I think in these circumstances, he should be absolutely fine. But you're right. I think all angles are covered with Vauban. And I, I think he is the perfect vehicle. And you, you've touched on Ryan Moore after the couple of days he had at Santa Anita. Why wouldn't he be on top of the world here?
0: All right. Well, what about the key dangers to Vauban? Surely last year's a gold trip must be one of them. Uh, He is one of five in the race for Kieran Maher and David Eustace. I spoke to Kieran at the official launch of the Lexus Melbourne Cup earlier on, just after I'd landed here, and I suggested to him that he'd been quite circumspect in the interview that he'd conducted in in that official opening and asked him whether that was a measure of of genuine restraint.
5: Uh, No, I think Gold Tripp has got a super chance uh, a handicap he does have the weight so that's probably my only concern but i think the horse is fantastic but
0: i do think it is a stronger race yeah. than last year the thing about gold trip i was just chatting with one of the guys from racing.com i always wonder if he's even though he's won a melbourne cup and finished fourth in the arc there's always a little bit more or more up his sleeve than, than he might be letting on do you still get that feeling yeah i do yeah he certainly looks after himself
5: mark really understands him quite well and gets seems to get the best out of him um, but uh jay mac he's he's sat on him before he hasn't won on him but um he's only one oh, he's won three races now so hopefully we can add to that
0: all right so can you explain this to me so uh, mark zara obviously rode him last year rode him to win the group one earlier in the season and mark is now running without a fight who won the caulfield cup the other day was it just a straight choice for him simple as that or was it a bit more complicated than that well he made it
5: a lot more complicated but um I uh, I think he was always going to go with without a fight after its win in the Caulfield Cup, and just because history would tell you it is hard to go back to back. Last year he got the conditions he really enjoys with a bit of rain around. This year uh, looks like it's going to be a firm track and a warm day. So, oh, I didn't surprise me at all that he went um, with without a fight. Did it annoy you? Uh, <laughs> nah, not really. Um, uh, like. <laughs> He's got to make a decision, you know, like, um, you know, when you're, when they're at the top of the game. Um, but I do have a good relationship with Mark, but um, he also has a good relationship with the Freedman uh, boys as well. And
0: James McDonald obviously is about the best substitute anywhere, <laughs> anywhere in the world, so there you go. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't think we've lost nothing there. Uh, what about the other lighter-weighted horses? Are there any that you think are carrying less than they should be? Um, well...
5: The idea is to beat the handicapper. Yeah. Uh, future history has done that. If I lined him up in a grass gallop in the morning, he would be quicker than the whole five. Um, but it's just that question on whether he runs a strong two-mile or not and you don't really know until you until he does it. But he gets every opportunity at that weight. And the two horses I've had previous, um, Floating Artist and, and um, Per Sand. Have both come in on the same weight through, had the same prep, and they've both sort of ran third and fourth.
0: Um, so, yeah, he'll have to be a chance down on the way. I mean, I've only been here two hours. I mean, I realise we've been hyping the chance of Vauban up at home since I was talking to you during Royal Ascot I mean, it's almost reached absurd, no pun intended, proportions now, hasn't it? I mean, I've, no one can see him being beaten. I mean, how do you look at it as a semi impartial observer? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's they've almost got him uh, unbeatable. Um, I mean, the way people are talking, you'd think he was
5: one to four, not three to one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, Willie. I think the respect for him and his stable um, probably adds to that as well. Uh, you know, he's bought one out. He's gone very close. Um, he's, he was dominant at Ascot, um, and uh, yeah, it's probably just a respect of the stable as well. I think. i always appreciate your time kieran thanks for talking to me Uh, thanks very much
0: nick all right kieran ma there well he wasn't the only person hopeful of lowering the colors of vauban i also bumped into ben arbib who with his father martin owns Solcom. used to be trained by william haggis now trained down here in australia by chris waller and i asked him whether he felt that the horse's um, position in the market as a roundabout fourth favorite accurately reflected his chances uh, he's
6: 4th favourite because he's always been a bit of a quirky horse um, and since he's arrived he's had the habit of leaving the stalls very late um, and in the core he actually left the stalls 5 lengths behind everyone and or 6 lengths behind and actually got beat 5 lengths so you kind of do the mass and he would probably be right there at the finish um, I think the market's reflecting that in his odds uh, if he breaks well um, you know, he's never going to be you know leading but if he can be, should be mid-pack He's probably got the the fastest turn of foot in the whole field,
0: so
6: I'd like to see, it's probably an in-running play. If he he jumps well and he's kind of there or thereabouts on the final bend, I'd expect him to
0: be eating up ground at the end, he's gonna be one of those horses that if he does win, he'll be flashing home. I gather in the phantom call, the caller rather cruelly started his phantom call with, and Salk misses it by four. (laughs) Yeah, we're getting we're getting used to that. But if he misses it. If, if
6: he misses it by one, he's he's he, he got a beautiful draw in, in stall four, so uh, he's right between. Well, he's next to Warben and Gold Trip, so mm. they're all they're nice all
0: draw. Yeah, they're all there. Um, we were just talking with your dad and rem- reminiscing about the fact that Snurge was supposed to run here before anyone ran horses in the Melbourne Cup, but they couldn't quite get the quarantine right.
6: Yeah, yeah. So it was a year Vintage Crop actually came over here and won and, and they, 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 they were brave enough to work out the quarantine rules. We, 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 we were for a moment, I think we were actually in the you know the odds and we, I think we were favourite for a bit, but we never brought him over. So it'd be a nice, over 30 years later, it'd be nice to have, well, it's a blessing to have a, have a chance in the Melbourne Cup. So uh,
0: fingers crossed for tomorrow. All right, that was Ben Arbib, co-owner of Solcombe, now trained by Chris Waller, and about fourth favourite for the Lexus Melbourne Cup tomorrow. Uh, clearly, Frankie de Tori is here. He hasn't got a ride because he's on a 16-day suspension, but he was busy at the Breeders' Cup. He took the plane after me back into Melbourne this morning, and uh, I began by asking him to reflect on Inspiral's victory in the Philly and Mare turf at Santa Anita at the weekend.
7: Amazing, you know um, Santa Anita is one of my favorite tracks I'm the Cup there. his pilot was my best ride she wore it in gray style and uh, you, know, I've, I, was, I, you know I couldn't write it better myself it's a good uh good uh, ticket for me to show everyone that I'm committed to go to uh California next winter and do the year there and so Good, all good.
0: Yeah, it was actually quite an important way for you as well, and just kind of logistically, wasn't it? Getting yourself sorted, getting a place together, getting some
7: contacts made. Absolutely, yes. Uh, yeah, as you saw, I root for all, all variety of trainers, Bob Buffett and- uh, Chad West, Brown in the Shelby classic. Chad Brown and Phil D'Amato, George, everyone. So uh, I'm very well supported, I've got a good agent. People knows that I'm taking this serious. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, do the last spell of my career in the uh, USA and, uh, and hopefully get a derby ride, derby.
0: Derby ride, you yeah. might just do that. Uh, just wanted a quick word about one or two of the others that you wrote. King of Steel in the... <laughs> Don't say it. I'm, I'm not saying a word, I'm not saying a word. Frankie just was...
7: Spilled the beer on my shirt,
0: All right. Easy. That's fine I, I, I said the words King of Steel And suddenly Beer came out of his nose Anyway I actually thought He ran quite well He, in ran, the ve- he ran
7: very good It was way too fresh He pulled hard All the way around Lost a lot of energy Only beaten two lengths uh, Perhaps it, 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 if you Look at the replay it Possibly he's a man of quarter horse hmm. And uh was quite fresh Wasn't it? Yes uh, But you know it's only coming to his own now. Next year, be a, a proper horse to be reckoned with, especially over the Mana and a quarter, mile half races.
0: We were going into the race saying it was a great race, one of the best there have been for ages. Did it feel like a good race to ride it?
7: Yeah, listen, uh, I mean, the winner uh, is the best horse around. Derby winner, Irish champion stake, so anyone in style. Uh, Japanese horse is distant, Mustaf didn't get a trip. King of Steel wasn't far behind so he he, he rode a good race and I think we got the right result.
0: Ride was alright on the winner as well wasn't it?
7: Ride was amazing yes he took all the chances and got a nice split on the inside that's why he's a World Cup jockey.
0: Alright here obviously you've got the band so you're not riding here but what are you gonna be doing for the next few days?
7: Well uh, I'm gonna go to the races, support uh, the Melbourne Cup then I'm going to go for Oak's Day on Thursday and Champions Day Saturday. I think it's the first time, actually, I'm doing the all week. Uh, in a way, I'm sad that I'm not riding, but uh, in the other way, I can go out there as a spectator and enjoy myself. All right,
0: Frankie. Well done. All right, Frankie Tory there. He's in Melbourne as well um, and making about as much sense as I am at the moment, I think. Um, it was a pretty good Breeders' Cup for him with the victory on in Spiral. But as you say, Lydia... Ryan Moore is going to be remembered for the ride on August Road. as somebody quipped tonight, uh, the best ride ever to incur a twenty thousand dollar fine for <laughs> excessive use of the whip. That clearly, I don't think I'd spotted at the time. In fairness, but has come out a couple of days later. um What do you make of all of it?
4: I I didn't know about that that um, excessive use of the whip. I hadn't I hadn't spotted that. I'll be honest, live. Um, I thought it was a, an audacious run up the inside, and it, it, as things panned out in the early stages of the race, the options had narrowed, and he he was able had the presence of mind and the trust in the horse, and the horse was able to make that you know race winning move, and it was um, a superb superb performance from August Rodan in a race in which beforehand I think the writing was on the wall from a European perspective on Mustardaf. He was not behaving very well in the preliminaries i mean you can tell me more about that but i watching the the your your coverage on nbc that was that was the vibes that we got and king of steel where well, he was making a quick reappearance and he raced a bit keenly and finished it fifth in the end which was a a, a doubty run i think uh, in in the hands <laughs> of the tour.
0: yeah i thought i thought he ran quite well uh, in, in all honesty and, and I, frankie was just reflecting on that and saying saying much the same thing it was worth a go and he, he appears to have handled it temperament-wise extremely well. So I think they're going to have a lot of fun with him next year. I thought the interesting point was what MV Magnet said after the race when I asked him directly, wouldn't you let us have another go with him again? Expecting a very political answer of, well, he's very valuable at stud, etc., etc." When there's every possibility we'll race him on next year and run him in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Now, who knows whether that will come to fruition? And there was an awful lot of cynicism suggesting that that wouldn't be the case, but... He did say it might be, so.
4: I thought that was surprising, I'll be honest. Um, bearing in mind, he's got a bit of an oxo profile with the 2000 Guinness, um, and, and the King George. So I would have thought that uh, given the um, cynicism of the stallion scene internationally, globally, uh, that they would take their... Uh, you know, career high position and run. <laughs> if, if, you, if you if you forgive the forgive the analogy, that was what I was expecting to hear. Like you, um, I'm I, I'm I'm surprised that 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 it's a possibility. Um, let's see what happens.
0: Uh, the Godolphin one-two in the mile, Master of the Seas beating Morge. I got the feeling that there were a lot of people in Godolphin who thought we're delighted to have the first and second, but we'd have loved Said. To, to to get a little bit of uh, of limelight here
4: yes uh you and you can understand that i mean it's been a number of seasons now that since Saeed binslaw himself made the point that he felt that he was uh, not getting the same level of horses, the same volume of horses as Charlie Appleby, as the waiting between them swung, you know, from when Saeed Binsoror, when when Godolphin used to be um, a lean machine and, you know, Frankie de rode and Simon Crisford was the racing manager and Saeed Binsoror was the trainer and they were, they had a small elite crack team that roamed around the world and won pretty much unerringly. Godolphin then expanded quite markedly, became a different kind of beast. And on the other side of that, when things started tightening up again, uh, Charlie Appleby emerged as their number one trainer. Um, And things have been difficult for Sy but when he's had a good horse, he has taken the opportunity Morge has been fantastically campaigned this season the win in the 1000 guineas a strong one her and tahira another top rate top ranking Uh, Group one, Philly, pulling clear, then the win in Keeneland and just going down narrowly at this point um, behind Master of the Seas. Yeah, I can understand why sentiment felt that, you know, people would have been rooting for Saeed. But, you know, moor got a great trip under Rasheen Murphy um, and Master of the Seas was galvanised from a difficult draw to run her down right on the line. And I think equally it was a very important win for Charlie Appleby with a number of his older horses having been retired prematurely this season um, either uh, because they had to or because those horses haven't shone as they have done previously so I think his season hasn't been that great, there are some signs of encouragement amongst their two year olds, obviously they've won the Futurity Trophy with Ancient Wisdom and that's a a positive for them and there are some other fillies as well, I mean at the the weekend romantic style, uh, when a a listed, listed Bozra Shammer at, at Newmarket, and she's a, a promising horse. And there are some others as well that I think suggest that they should have a better season with their classic generation. But I think that the Master of the Seas' victory within Charlie Appleby's season would have been very important too.
0: From one Appleby to another, should we just do full-on feel-good with Mick Appleby and Big Evs winning uh, the Breeders' Cup uh, Sprint? on uh, just, sprint?
4: Uh, just the best. I mean, the, uh, the absolute best story for me um yeah I, you know i have a um a, you know, small share in a horse that's at mick Appleby's, and i have done previously as well i know the yard well um you know my dad goes down to the yard to see uh the small share his the horse that he's got a small share in and he he and his wife love it there as well i it's i'm just so pleased for the team and it was great to see them all um celebrating all of them gathered around the tv to watch this Incredibly significant international event as uh, Big Evs uh, managed to win. I, I you know I was I was <laughs> I, I, that, unfortunately it was one of the few races that I watched knowing the results. Um, I would have loved to have uh, have just you know discovered that live, but just the way it was, I I, I, I had to watch it the way I did. Uh, but it was just it's just so great. And I, I really enjoyed Mick Appleby being Mick Appleby mm. as all of the sort of totally. American razzmatazz around him. He's got to, what, two feet firmly on the ground at all times
0: yeah and uh you know with him it means an awful lot more to him than he can ever show and yeah uh, i i was delighted for for all concerned with uh, with big evs wanted to talk to you a little go on what were (laughs) you going to say
4: the impact over in britain i was to Speaking to Mark Luckman, um, who is Billy Luckman, an up-and-coming um, rider's father, and also a, a trainer, and he won a handicap at Newmarket with Mamea that Josie Gordon r- r- rode, and he was talking about how inspiring it was that Mick had managed to, to win a race at the Breeders' Cup for him. You know, he he and Mick would would be on the same kind of all-weather scene um, during the winter, doing particularly well. Mark's having an excellent season himself. He's hoping to. Um, uh, to get 50 winners this season Um, he's, he's nearing in on that target and hopefully he will get it but he was just talking about how inspiring it was to see Mick Appleby a good friend of his someone who admires and he sees all the time and they're in a kind of similar kind of sphere to see him get that you know, good horse, be able to take it to America and win. And at that time, of course, he was also thinking about Adam West and Live in the Dream, who at that point when I was speaking to Mark, hadn't, the horse hadn't yet run. But obviously the horse has already run well, run well in America. And he was just saying how inspiring that was for him and how it gave him hope as a trainer. It was really interesting to see the, the significance of that more widely rather than just for Mick Appleby and his team.
0: Here in Melbourne now, uh, a place which is. Um, been attempting over the last few years to to push veterinary protocols to a to a different place, just come off the back of the Breeders' Cup where there were a number of controversial scratches, none more so than Give Me the Beat Boys and the Juvenile Turf Sprint. You and I have talked quite a bit on this podcast about um, making sure horses are in the good physical state to run and that sometimes you a know, difficult place between what owners and trainers think is is sound and what vets sometimes perceive to be sound and the issues that that can pose in the lead up to to big races and um and the arguments that it can it it can throw up that was shown into pretty sharp relief I thought over the weekend what did you make of it all from from afar
4: yeah I I suppose I suppose lots of things really um the key point I think for all observers uh, whether we, whether here from afar or or close up, is that nobody knows the the the, the truth of this apart from those closest to the horse itself. So uh, you know, vets also are not able to talk about uh, this freely because they have under their ethical code um, confidentiality uh, and they can't talk about uh, their view in great detail of individual cases so it's down to Um, the the individuals closest to the horse, they will know most about it along with the vet. So I think it's very difficult for us from the outside to have a firm opinion. I think potentially there are things that um, Breeders' Cup can learn, um, mostly probably in terms of uh, public relations rather than anything else. I mean, it it looks as though the um, trot-up area can be improved, but um, this is just a very small detail i think the wider point is the far is a far more important one these are um vets veterinary experts they have been um there's been a, a procedure set up whereby horses are vetted by them they have uh, procedures that they go through there are five vets that will have looked at the horses that were scratched um, in, in order to be able to make the best possible objective decision. And yes, there are uh, subjective individual things like irregular gait. And uh, usually there are provisions for connections to be able to explain that and to to prove and show that a horse might have an irregular irregular gait. But in order for the for the probity, for the confidence of the sport, for the reputation of the sport globally, in order for the, that, that the sport you know, can continue and that the the public can have confidence in it. Sometimes difficult decisions are, uh, you know, no, difficult decisions are going to have to be made, not just sometimes. Difficult decisions are going to have to be made. And that has got to be good for the good of the sport in the long term. You're a bit closer to it. What did you think?
0: Well, I I completely understand why if you are a trainer and a, a vet who hasn't looked at your horse all week suddenly turns up and says, I'm not happy with that horse and that horse gets scratched. I can totally understand why emotions are going to run extremely high and that you're going to say, well, that's just not fair. But if you are the organizer of the event and you are placing your faith in a veterinary professional to make um, judgments on the day of the race and they make that judgment, then that has to be a, a situation within which we, we all exist. It's not to say that... Um, we can't debate where we are uh, in terms of I- examining horses, but you know, I I would always be erring on the side of caution, and I would always be um, gravitating towards the um, the expertise of people who are professionally trained. um Absolutely. When when it, when it when it comes to making a kind of global decision, now they may not always be right. And those closest to the horse may be more right than the veterinary professional. But you have to have a set of practices in place and protocols that apply across the board. Otherwise, the sport can't really continue properly because you can't it, you can't simply let everybody make their own rules.
4: This is the point. And I think that uh, everybody within horse racing are going to have to be very grown up and uh, and honest in this sphere and recognise that from a a social point of view, uh, people's mores have moved on. And uh, as a result of that, the use of animals, well, the use of animals full stop, but particularly the use of animals in sport is under great scrutiny. Um, At the same time, there are some issues that I think it is recognised by most people within in the sport that that need to be improved as well. So there's a there's a you're your internal scrutiny, which is right, and also some external scrutiny, which is inevitable. And one, whilst the sport um, responds to that to try and put itself in the best possible position, there are going to be some individual cases where people are going to end up on the wrong side yeah. of it. They're going to are going to be full irritated are done by but the point is that we want this sport to be in a strong and healthy position in five ten twenty years time and i'd even go so far as we want it still to exist in twenty years time so i think that when 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 it doesn't go your way and i know that can be devastating it can have huge consequences for the individual but we do have to i'm afraid i think the sport has to look at the greater
0: good and to personalize this a little bit which i didn't really want to do i mean my heart absolutely bled on saturday morning for on friday was it saturday or friday friday morning for uh, the harrington team and particularly con Marnan and and his daughters um for, for Give me the beat boys because it was a it was a wonderful human story and so much emotion had been invested in it and they looked at a horse that appeared not to be lame to 99% of people. But that was the judgment call that was made. And there were a lot of conspiracy theories that were doing the rounds at the time, which were clearly unfounded. And somebody was trying to do their best job at the time and their best job informed them that they needed to scratch the horse. Now, um, right or wrong there's no ulterior motive to that. Well, they what must... motive Exactly. I'm, I'm, exactly.
4: I'm to into ulterior motive? There too. is.
0: There's no ulterior motive. And as one, as as one, you know, fairly senior executive of the Breeders' Cup put it to me, and it sort of rather made it clear to me. But it's not like they want to. They don't want to scratch horses. At the end of the day, if they scratch horses, it costs them money and it costs yeah. them goodwill, and they don't want to be cost either money or goodwill. So, um you know i think you just need to sort of sometimes sit back take a deep breath and realize that um shit happens for for some people and it's it's extremely hard to swallow but it's sometimes being done for the right reasons or often being done for the right reasons
4: yeah a hundred percent um and the uh, conspiracy theory rabbit hole that's one that uh, we should we should definitely stay out of
0: All right, so that, <laughs> until we reconvene 24 hours from now, is the Melbourne Cup done. And when we do reconvene, you'll know the result and wonder whether that optimism surrounding connection uh, surrounding horses that are not Vauban is well-founded or whether it's quite simple that Vauban's just going to go away and win. Anyway, uh, Willie Mullins is not um, somebody who we're, who we're going to just forget about after the Melbourne Cup because he's going to be dominating racing in Ireland and England for the next few months. Uh, he did, was not represented, however, over the weekend. Lydia jumping wise, it was supposed to be Paul Nichols and Brave Man's game winning the Charlie Hall Chase at Weatherby. It didn't happen. What do we read into his defeat from the uh, at the hands of the lightly raced Irish-trained seven-year-old Gentleman's Game in the Charlie Hall? Do
4: you want to reveal your connection to, or, or repeat your connection to Gentleman's Game for the,
0: well, the benefit of us? Our- to, to be honest i will but the thing is see the reason the reason i was asking you in such a kind of um in a in a sort of rather boring and and functional way was because i'd feel unable to be uh emotionally divorced from it because um uh, i my my late mother bred or co-bred a gentleman's game and uh it was my flight of fancy that enabled that when i uh when i bought his dam at Doncaster sales having gone up there to sell a a foal of hers and uh, walked away having bought her a mare. So there you go. So that's (laughs) that's my very strong emotional connection to Gentleman's Game.
4: It's a lovely story. It's a lovely story. So... uh... Not as close to it as you. I thought it was the uh, first thing to say that there were only four runners, which is a great shame for the Charlie Hall, and they'd had the Friday abandoned as well because of of the terrible weather that had been battering uh, Britain. So it was great to see the day go ahead. Uh, for much of the race, Brave man's game looked into in control. He was jumping fluently. As you turned for home, you thought, oh uh, gentleman's game is running a big one here, and you know he's race fit, and he could be throwing down a serious challenge, and he did. And brave man's game seemed to have it under control, and then there was a a little bit of a miscommunication perhaps between um, uh, Harry Copton and brave man's game at the last, where the horse sort of went long. Uh, also, I think might the horse might have blown up in conditions. I mean, they're much more testing. I know that Paul Nichols tends to have his horses maybe fitter for their first start than you know many yards. At, modus operandi but we're talking about very deep ground this time around um so yeah I thought the horse blew up to some degree and also Darrow O'Keefe had waited for one last go on Gentleman's Game and was able to get the better of Braveman's Game by a length and three quarters and you've made the point in the introduction that that was only um, Gentleman's Game third start Over over fences, he is totally unexposed. He's particularly unexposed at a staying trip, and I think you know if you look at his um, hurdling form, you can see that that's something that he relishes. So I think he's a he's a horse that that could go on and back this success up, but in terms of. The, the quality horse coming out of it, I still believe that Brave Man's Game ran a very, very good first time out race. I was interested that they're thinking, Paul Nichols has mentioned the Betfair Chase still may be en route to the King George because I was thinking it would be next up King George and they've got enough time to get in there, spot on to defend his crown. Were you surprised about the Fair Chase being re-raised?
0: Not really. This is jump racing. We're used to kind of revisionism along the way. That's kind of what happens. <laughs>
4: And I suppose uh-huh. it's Paul Nichols who would want a, a a a player in a in a Grade One race, wouldn't
0: he? Yeah, I mean, I uh, sometimes I think th- this whole keeping horses fresh for various targets. I mean, I get that you need freshness, but there's freshness and there's freshness. I don't really understand why you need a three-month gap between races, for example. I, you know, I it's perfectly yeah. feasible for me that he can go to the Betfair Chase and
4: and it and, makes very dull racing as horse- well if you. Also, take
0: take a take a rain check and see what the opposition is.
4: Mm, absolutely, um, <laughs> we should mention Boyce Senor, who for the start of the Chelley Hall looked as though he was going to run far better than he did last year. But then he made um, a mistake at the ninth, and his jumping started to unravel after that. Another mistake, five out, and he was pulled up before the second last. Um, so, you know, the first half of the race, a bit better than the, than last year, second half of the race, not so much. So again, he's going to have to take a big step forward. But I suppose we we were, we were expecting I mean his, his profile now is, first time out is not, is not the time to find him. And I think there are other courses that would suit him better too.
0: I honestly think he's so ground contingent as well. Like I think if it's really soft, he runs horribly as a general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he is,
4: He has uh, to say that he has a particular set of circumstances that he needs Mm. is a gross statement.
0: Yeah. And when he's good, he's very good. And there's a couple of horses who I've never heard of before who uh, announced themselves at Ascot and elsewhere.
4: Yes. Well, um, Django Bai, um, who, interestingly, Nico de Boisville was at Ascot to ride him um, in a novice hurdle rather than at Weatherby to ride Lucia in the mayor's hurdle that was won quite nicely by You Wear It Well. Um, She'll be heading towards the mayor's hurdle at Cheltenham, ultimately, you think. So Django Bai, yes, who um, pulled quite hard, uh, went, went clear but made a mistake at the last which caused him to be headed by another horse that looks quite promising tell her the name um but he knuckled down kept on well and led again right on the line so he looks pretty interesting he got a double figure price quoted for the supreme um and then but staying at weatherby uh, botox has when a Inferior edition of the West Yorkshire Hurdle. It has to be said. He himself jumped clumsily. He's you know added to his national spirit success, but it was a poor edition. With back in third, Dashel Drasher, the Stayers Hurdle second, very much looking like he needed the run, and a sort of worryingly dull return from Time Hill, who finished only fourth and made little impact in the race.
0: Okay, so that was the uh, the action at Weatherby. And do you have something for me for today?
4: I do, actually. I do. And I'm quite keen on this source. So I'm looking at Kempton's four o'clock. Uh, which is the mile and a half handicap, and the horse is Max Mayhem. I'm completely throwing out the run at the Shergar Cup last time out, and he hasn't raced since then. Prior to that, he's shown a high level of form twice at Ascot, um, and on his first start for Kevin philippart de Foy, he used to be with Joseph O'Brien last season. He put up a then career best on his second or weather start to win at Kempton. Returned to the track, freshened up. Um, I'm really quite keen on Max Mayhem in the four o'clock at Kempton for Kevin Philippart Defoy and Daniel Muscat.
0: All right, Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was, I'll just check the date, Monday,
4: (laughs) Monday, (laughs) November
0: the 6th. Uh, And by the time you listen to this podcast again, I'll be bringing you the result of the Lexus Melbourne Cup. uh, Onwards, onwards. Thank you very much. Good night. Goodbye. Good morning. Good afternoon. We'll see you again next time.